Welcome back to The Dad Chronicle, where we share stories from dads all around the world. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 126. Religion has always been important to me. I'm Catholic, and if you listen back to the first episode, I talked about receiving a blessing in the Sistine Chapel while Deanna and I were in Rome, and what that was like for me as a Catholic. It was a very Catholic thing to do. But one thing that has been very clear over the past few years is just the sense of direction that I feel like Christianity is going in. Not just the sense of direction that Catholicism is going in, but Christianity as a whole. And I think about raising my kids in the church and why that's important to me, but these issues keep popping up. And I recently shared a conversation with two other dads that I've had on this show, Jordan Blythe and Audie Norman, who come from a different Christian background than what I'm used to. And we had a really good conversation around what Christianity is doing today and where we see it going in the future. This is a show about parenting, and we center this conversation really around the theme of how we're bringing the right values from our Christian faith into how we're raising our kids. But we also talk about what a challenge that is with how polarized and politicized our Christian beliefs have become. Sometimes we just want to cry at the way that some people who call themselves Christians and the way they act and talk towards other people just is antithetical to Christ entirely. It's either you you love God and you love Trump or you love Satan and you voted for Biden. That is the vibe that I get from family. That is the vibe that I get from friends. That is the vibe. And it really really pisses me off. We talk about racism in the church. And they are they're talking about critical race theory like it's this scourge that is infiltrating the church. And and basically it boils down to we don't want to talk about racism because racism probably doesn't exist on a systematic level. These are pastors who have MDivs and they've been they've been preaching for years and years and years, but they're so blinded by their whiteness that they refuse yeah. to even try to see that maybe Jesus cares about racism. But after all of this critical discussion about our various denominations, we reflect on how we have hope in the future for our children and for the church. God is doing some rad stuff in spite of the church. Maybe not inside of the church all the time, but in spite of the church, he's doing some really rad stuff. More and more, I see the generations coming up being like, why are we thinking this way? Why are we yeah. doing things this way? Because it's not helping, because it's not doing what Jesus actually told us to do. Here's my roundtable discussion about Christianity with Audie Norman and Jordan Blythe. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome back to the conversation. And everybody at home today, I am with two previous guests who we've had this conversation around religion and kind of our upbringing. And we're going to be really focusing into that. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this. But before we really jump into that, I want to introduce the gentleman around the table here. First, Jordan Blythe, how are you? I'm I'm doing fantastic, man. How are you doing today? Doing doing great. Thank you for being here. Jordan, why don't you reintroduce yourself to the folks at home who may not know who you are? Yeah, so uh, I'm Jordan. I am uh, I work in advertising. I'm a graphic designer. Uh, I'm a father of two. I'm a husband of my awesome wife. And uh, my daughter is turning one year old in, I'm not sure when you're airing this, but about a week and a half, two weeks. So it's, uh, I tell you, it's an exciting life and, and I'm loving every second of it. Beautiful, man. Yeah. By the time this, it'll probably be like a week or so. So oh, yeah, my goodness. yeah April, 10th, April 10th, April 10th, she's turning one. 
And, and I feel like the past year has, for obvious reasons, been both a decade and a second. So it's <laughs> it's been something else. Um, relevant to our conversation, though, I do have a, a bit of a religious background. Um, I have worked uh, off and on in youth ministry as as a youth pastor, youth volunteer um, for, for the past decade. Since 2010, I went straight from high school into youth ministry. Um, I went to uh, seminary, uh, a Bible college, not quite seminary, Bible college, and I was able to turn my, my four-year uh, biblical studies major uh, into a six-year degree uh, because I was that great of a student. I just loved Bible college, you know. <laughs> um, and I changed majors a dozen times, but still graduated with a minor in Bible. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I have a, a big evangelical background, and I am kind of coming out of that evangelicalness, but there's still a lot there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're going to dive a little bit more into that and kind of what that means to you. Similar, like really diving in even more. I know we talked about it during our interview that we did, um, you know, a few episodes back, certainly, but uh, we'll, we'll dive even more into that. But before we do, let's introduce the other gentleman here on the show, another dad that I've had on the show. Audie Norman, how are you? Doing well, Alex. And Jordan, congratulations on a year with a kid. That is a huge milestone. Yeah, I I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Audi, uh, people at home, if they don't know who you are, how would you introduce yourself? I am a freelance illustrator and stay-at-home dad. I have three kids, seven-year-old twins and a -a four-and-a-half-year-old little brother of theirs, all boys. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So Bless your heart. Holy cow. We've got plenty, and uh, I feel you. Last year has been good Lord. Um, And then I'm also married to a pastor in the United Methodist Church. My wife is an associate pastor at the church we attend right now. Um, And from my background, I was born and raised in the Methodist Church, went to the church that my mom went to growing up. Um, And it's just always been in that. Um, When I went to college, I did the Wesley Foundation. After that, I have done my fair share of youth ministry here and there. Kind of figured it figured out it wasn't the fit for me. So, uh, you know, which, which group was it that did you win? Was it the middle schoolers or the high schoolers? You know, I was actually better with the middle schoolers than the dude. High schoolers. Same. I'm They're the a, best. Like I'm, I'm a big goofy guy, so I definitely right. The middle schoolers middle are schoolers. not to get off track already. Middle schoolers are this perfect <laughs> blend of of squishy, moldable. Like they they latch onto ideas. You can really help them. They want to come to you for advice, and but they they still have the right amount of like cynicism mixed with uh, nonconformity. It's a cool balance. And then you get mm-hmm. into freshman year, and and whatever remnants of puberty is hitting them smacks them in the face they become <laughs> cynical <laughs> buttholes and and i just don't want to be around them that, and you and said it middle school yeah. ministry is the way to go and yeah. i did a lot of um summer camp ministry oh um, man yeah so i i've done it with all kinds of ages and mi- middle school tends to be the most fun um so i did that like on and off five or six years of summer camp and uh that's actually where i met my wife we both worked our last summers there and then after that, uh, we got married, and then she went to div school at Duke. And so nice. I've been the um, pastor's husband ever since. 
Very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, so we have a bunch of different perspectives on Christianity. My background is growing up Catholic, still practicing Catholic today, though COVID has made it interesting to try to go to church on Sundays. But, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this conversation, because we're focusing this this discussion today on religion, but specifically around Christianity. And, you know, this is all, by the way, coming from the perspective of three cisgendered dudes, you know, who are, uh, you know, you guys are white, I'm half white, I'm, I'm Cuban, uh, but, you know, we all have a certain perspective of what the church means to us and the values that we've learned from the church, but then there's also a lot of competing perspectives from outsiders and, and as well from within of what our own values are for ourselves. So we're going to jump into a lot of discussion around what the church means to us, how we talk about the church and our values to our kids and bring them up uh, with the right values in mind, uh, talking about you know, also what the internet perceives Christianity as as opposed to maybe, you know, what what we think of it as. So right. why don't we take just a moment and kind of go around the table. Talk, let's talk about what sort of ways that we're bringing our Christian values and introducing Christianity into our children's lives. And Jordan, we'll go ahead and start with you. Yeah. So it's, you know, obviously I have a, a two-year-old and a soon-to-be one-year-old. So there's not a lot of uh, really deep theological teaching there. Not to say that I haven't tried or wanted to. Um, so for Christmas uh, this past year, I did get an Advent book, um, really walked our way through it. And I, I really uh, painstakingly picked an Advent book that was theologically, to me, sound, that hit all of the right notes. I didn't want to really fluff up uh, like Santa Claus or anything like that. I didn't want to fluff up the the minor details around it. I really wanted to hit Jesus is coming. Jesus is born. This is a big deal. And to me, when I talk about the the birth of Jesus, it's hard for me not to go back to uh, Genesis and talk about the prophecy and, and all of that, where you know Christ will be born, he'll step on the serpent's head, all of that jazz. So I, I even when my son, you know, he was uh, just he was like twenty three months old, looking at me, glazed eyes as I, I'm working through the the Advent story, but I, I wanted to hit it, and it's going to be a tradition every year forward, um, and. Even more than that, like I, I just try to to lay lay the foundation because I know that that's the most important thing. He's going to forget almost every sermon he hears between the time that he's you know now to to twenty five years old. He's not going to remember them. They're not going to be cornerstones in his life. But I know if I lay the theological principles for my son, they they might stick. They might be that little bedrock for him. And and when I when I talk about that, it's it's how do I model Christ in my own life? Mm -hmm. It's how do I talk about my faith? It's how when he sees me talking, and this will be hopefully in the future, and hopefully not something that I have to do a whole lot, but when he sees me wrestling through things like systematic racism or issues within our government, issues within our, our nation, uh, when he sees me talking about those issues, he should see Christ first and foremost. And that should be what's presented. So I'm trying now to lay that foundation in any way that I can. And and it's, you know, again, he's two. It's not, it's yeah. nothing right now, but hopefully it's becoming a habit for me. And then we can continue to work through it. Totally. There's a foundation there you're building, right? Like, I yeah. think that's really, 
that's really important. Adi, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Um, I feel very much the same way Jordan does. And uh, I would say in our house, we are trying to lay that foundation. But also at the same time, um, for those who aren't familiar, when it comes to being in the church and being the um, kids of somebody who actually is a pastor or preacher, there's a term for them called preacher's kids or PKs. And for a lot of people, that is not a positive term. Um, and some of that is because of the way certain, uh, preacher's kids turn out. Um, and so we work hard to not be the ones that are beating them over the head with religious stuff, but we definitely live it and have it all around all the time. We're always talking about whatever's going on through the lens of being a Christian. Um, and you know, in the same way Jordan is doing, you know, we've got different books about Christmas, about Advent. Right now we're doing um, a thing for, um, oh, what is it? Of course I brain fart on it right now. Um, Lent. Lent. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I got you, fam. I got you. <laughs> Where we, We've got little cards we read every day, and it's just, you know, a little card with a little um, scripture, a little prayer that's more tailored to their age and not something that's over their head and, you know, simple enough language. Um that they can get and maybe understand. But again, same as with Jordan, like just trying to present, you know, the faith to them in a way that they can understand that they can grasp mm -hmm. and, you know, lay that foundation that you know, hopefully will stick. Something will stick. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's fine. Um, but just being consistent. And again, like not beating them over the head with it because they're kids. Yeah. And, and that consistency is, is really key. I think mm -hmm. as, as our kids get older, they, they pick up on it so fast. And, and I've seen, you know, obviously not in my own kids, but when I would mentor kids in youth group or I would counsel them, cause I, I did a lot of counseling. My major was in Christian counseling. So I, uh, that I was really passionate about that when I was in youth men and, you know, when you counsel kids and, and they're like, man, I, I want to live like this for God, but I see my parents faking it all the time. Mm. And, and, and man, may that never be said of me. And it will be mm -hmm. said of me probably because I'm a human. I sin all the time and I mess up, but, but man, that consistency is so important to model on a, on a <laughs> consistency is important to model on a consistent basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I totally get what you're, I totally get where you're going with that. And Audie, I want to revisit something I'm just very curious about because I, I'm just ignorant to it. But what are some of the negative connotations associated with being a pastor's kid? Well, a lot of it comes from the kids that, for whatever reason, it doesn't stick. Or they get it all the freaking time since they were born, so they're just tired of church. They're tired of hearing about Jesus. They're tired of all of it. And they just, um, you know, get away from it for whatever reason. There's any number of reasons. Some Sometimes it's just the friends they make that, you know, it's uh, almost a rebellion thing when you're younger and don't sure. know any better. And sometimes it's just, I don't believe the same things my parents do because of the environment I'm growing up in as opposed to the environment they grew up in. Right. And I don't instantly take that faith on and automatically have that faith the way my parents do. Um, you know, with some people, uh, they're not great people down the line. 
some of them i know i mean i know a lot of preachers kids that are also preachers now as well so you know it cuts both ways but there's enough um pks out there that have you know made it hard to not completely throw that aside and think about that when you're raising your kids as someone who's a pastor as well I mean, I think of the most glaring example right now is Jerry Falwell and Jerry Falwell Jr. Oh, you know, right. you had you had this pinnacle of evangelical right wing. Um, I mean, he he was the super Baptist. You know, when you think of Jerry mm-hmm. Falwell, he started the most Baptist college or and the biggest Baptist college. Um, and then his son, Jr., turned it out just to be a, a total dipstick, you know. Yeah. And, and it's tough for us to look at that. And I think some of it, Alex, it comes down to when you're a pastor, a lot of your life is about um, how you are perceived by other people. And there's a lot of things that you do that you do because, like, or you don't do because you don't want it to hurt your witness, hurt your testimony. I don't know if these are terms. I don't know if that's too Christianese. Um <laughs> But like, I don't want to do something in public and have someone look at me and say, man, they're a bad Christian because I'm in youth ministry or I'm doing whatever. And so these PKs, they grow up with this. I have to be perfect because people look at me, they see my dad, they see my mom who's working as a pastor. And if it gets back to them, I'm toast because I made them look bad. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a inherently evangelical thing, Um I don't know if that's because I grew up in a very Baptist, very strict kind of traditional thing. So I don't know if that's more of just my worldview and my experience kind of coming out. But I have seen PKs when they get to college completely go off the rails because yeah. they, they're living three states away from dad and dad's never going to find out that they were drinking at the bar on Sunday, you know, mm-hmm. and dad's congregation's never going to find out either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you're asking if any of this is Christianese and I mean, it's not because I, I understand the lingo, but also growing up in the Catholic church, there's no such thing as PKs because priests right, right. want to live a celibate life and they don't, there, there's no, I mean, in oh, some yes. cases you have like, the, I had this one priest at a, at a church that I grew up going to where he was married, his wife died and then he became a priest um, and he actually had kids growing up. That's a very, you know, uh, different sort of situation, but never did that ever like kind of come back as a, you know, in the situation that you're talking about though, it's pretty stereotypical when you look at popular culture as, as far as how they portray the son or daughter of a, of a pastor, you know, footloose and some of that, you know, kind of comes to mind, right? And, yeah. you know, you just kind of wonder how much of that is really kind of contrived, how much of it is, is true. And, you know, I think there's some there's some middle ground and some some gray area there that really brings out the truth and that, you know, just based on the on what you guys were saying. Right. So, well, there's middle ground where there's people in uh, entertainment that do a decent job sometimes of showcasing a Christian person. Then you've got the full other side of it where because of the way technology and stuff makes it so much easier for anybody to produce something, you've got a whole industry Mm. of Christian entertainment. And I don't mean just music. I mean like full on movies and stuff Mm -hmm. that are produced. And, you know, for me, I find those mostly preaching to the choir kind of stuff. Right. So I 
I don't look at it that often, but I know it's there and I know it's hugely successful and popular because it is preaching to the choir and giving people of faith something that's not your typical uh, as quote unquote Hollywood entertainment, you know? Right. So there's different angles to even that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just thinking about my perspective and how we're bringing up our kids. I mean, I think that, you know, for, for Catholics growing up and, you know, participating in, in taking your sacraments, you know, whether that be, you know, the Eucharist or, you know, your confirmation to the church, all those sort of things are, are important. Obviously baptism, you know, when the baby's born, like Jake hasn't been baptized yet because mostly because of COVID and, you know, dunking a kid's head in water during these times is not really a good idea. Who would have known? So, uh, so, but, but we're working on getting there, but those, those pieces are important to us. But really, I think what's m- most paramount for me as somebody who, uh, you know, kind of frankly has has some issues with the Catholic Church lately in some parts of the Catholic Church, I should say. Um, it's really kind of growing up with with the the same morals and values that you guys are talking about, really leading with Jesus as you know in, in his uh, what the the way that he lived his life, loving others, you know, living by the commandments, really, um, loving thy neighbor, showing unconditional love, no matter what, leading with love in everything that you do is a value that I want my kids to see most of in, in me. And, and I know that Deanna feels really, you know, the same way. And a lot of the times, like you have the different kind of sects of the, uh, and that's S E C T S sects <laughs> of the Catholic church. And, you know, you have, um, the, the Jesuit priests and, and sort of that following who really preached the way that Jesus lived and the love there. I, I really jive with a lot of that. And a lot of it happens to kind of coincide with liberal values that, you know, kind of go against the traditional, quote unquote, very right wing uh, things that you see in the Catholic Church. And when you, when you see people uh, talking about the sins of homosexuality and, uh, and and that sort of thing. It, that's, you know, where I have had a lot of gripes with the church, and um, that, that's been making it really hard to be a Christian and, and a Catholic. Uh, so that's actually where I want to steer the conversation next, is, you know, what does Christianity mean to you guys? And in what ways does it potentially conflict? Because this is a conversation that that the three of us had kind of offline um, and online because we had some conversations over Twitter about times where Christianity, we've seen situations where it's like, man, we feel a little embarrassed to be Christian <laughs> at times or be labeled that. Um, Audie, I'd, I'd love to hear from you first on this topic. Man, you're coming at me at a very strange time in the Methodist church that I'm a part of and have grown up or in the middle as a church, big C, the, the Methodist church itself of reconciling what we believe about homosexuality and trying to deal with that. And the Methodist church is a global community church where basically all the churches are more or less networked together. So when you say the Methodist church believes that, you're talking about all the churches are supposed to believe that. And we're at a place where we're trying to figure out or not trying to figure out, trying to change quote unquote, our church's doctrine to reflect where we're at. Um, 
me and my wife are definitely in the camp of we love everybody as they are. Everybody was created the way they are. And we're not going to tell you you're wrong for the way you are, the way you feel about yourself, the way you feel about your body. That's not what Jesus told us to do. He told us to love you, period. End of discussion. And so that's where we uh, try to live our lives every day. But the Methodist Church, in its doctrine right now, says homosexuality is not compatible with Christian teaching. And that's it. There's that no is big, fascinating. Yeah. It, there's why, no big uh, um, definition other than that. So we're struggling with that because there are so many people in the Methodist Church who are homosexual, who are transgender, all that right. stuff. And they've come to a Methodist church and felt loved, except when the Methodist church tells you that's as far as you can go. You cannot be ordained. You cannot be this or that. We cannot give you money to help your organization uh, very much. All these kinds of things. And so many of us are like, yeah, that's not right. We need to change this. And then there's a whole part of the church that's like, nope. No. So how does that make you that, feel like when you see that contradiction and especially knowing the position your wife is in as a pastor, like how does that make you feel? Man, it's tough. It's hard. It's it's frustrating. Um sometimes we just want to cry at the way that some people who call themselves Christians and the way they act and talk towards other people just is antithetical to Christ entirely. It's just like what what are we doing here? Like, are, did you actually read the Bible and see where Jesus helped people and fed people and said, do whatever you can to help them? Because you're not doing that with your words. You're not doing that with your actions. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, at this point, it's just a lot of questioning and struggling to figure out how can we be better than that as a person, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ? How can we be better and show people that there are Christians who really do love you no matter what. Yeah. And Jordan, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, because this was actually a topic when we had our interview for this show, you know, a few episodes back. But, mm -hmm. you know, based on what Audie is talking about and when you see that contradiction, especially, you know, I'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, it's it's wild. So I, I grew up... Um, Baptist, I, I kind of had a, a non-denom thing going on for a bit, but Baptist was most of where I, I grew up, and and I obviously grew up in in a lot of worldviews that that I don't necessarily espouse anymore, um, and it, it's very tough. It, it's, gosh, I don't know how to adequately explain the the depth of of emotional challenge that has gone on since oh i'd say maybe summer of 2015 until now uh there was a major uh climate shift in in our political spectrum that happened mm. and um <laughs> and and a lot of people a lot of family members a lot of church people really started to change and and it's it's very, very difficult. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, with my faith tied to the Republican Party. I went and I went door to door in 2012 for uh, Mitt Romney, and I am deeply, horrifically ashamed to publicly say that I went door to door for Jim Jordan in 2012. That was that's my representative. 
uh, as much as I'd rather it not be. I had lunch with Jim Jordan multiple times in 2012. Um, I attended lectures uh, that he that he would give to to a group of us as church interns. Um, I wouldn't really call them lectures; they're just talks. I mean, it was just Republican talking points. You understand? Um, but it, it it's very challenging. And then to grow up out of that, and and to see like, okay, so I know the Bible says this. And when I was in Bible college, they told me to take the Bible at face value. I mean, that was that is a cornerstone of premillennial, presuppositional apologetics. Like, I know that when I'm talking to other people about God, I have to take the Bible at face value and say, like, this verse means this because this verse says it. Like, and then if you look at the context, you look at take a few chapters back, you go to a few chapters ahead, maybe you look at the historical context, this verse clearly means this. And then I see people justifying their their racist behavior, their their homophobic behavior, their sexist behavior with scripture. Mm-hmm. And and you know so I just don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, it I don't I, I I'm getting super fired up because you know I have I have been I have lost so many friends. Uh my my Facebook friends list, which obviously horrible uh, metric of friendship. But I have lost <laughs> over 150 people off my Facebook page between the Black Lives Matter and, and the presidential race of, of 2020. I don't even know how many I lost in 2016. Um, but I've lost a lot of relationships. Uh, I, I don't know if this the side of my family's listening, but I have my wife and I are no longer invited to family gatherings on one side of our family. Because this side of our family is is super hardcore, make America great again. Like that is who they are. They have they've tied their faith so deeply with their political spectrum that it's obscene. And, and they don't they don't invite us anymore. We used to be invited to everything. I grew up with these guys. We were best friends until 2016. Jeez. And 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 we just had actually we just had another family member on Erica's side block us uh, just just a month ago. Maybe less than that, maybe a few weeks ago, because of our political views. And wow. and it's it, it doesn't make sense when we try to call ourselves Christians and we say, hey, maybe Jesus would would care about uh racism. And and right now, uh so I'm super reformed. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that kind of uh theological leaning, but no. I, I dig what, what John Calvin taught, uh, which I know not Wesleyan at all. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I am, I'm a, I'm a Calvinist. I'm a five point Calvinist, but I kind of lean in on, on a fourth point. So I'm like a four point a la Charles Spurgeon kind of guy. Like what, what um, does all that mean by the way? Like you, now you're speaking Christianese. Uh, sorry. To, to sorry. No, 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 I forget. Okay. I got really into He's it. He's speaking like Uber Christianese <laughs> at this point. Um, so John Calvin had five points of Calvinism. Uh, which is represented in TULIP. So there's total depravity, um, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. So basically, um, from birth, you're a sinner. Uh, You are unable to go to God on your own. And if God wants you, he will call you. And that's kind of a point that I will kind of waver on. Um, Limited atonement is that Christ died for some. Uh, not all. So Christ died only for the elect, which is again a point that I would waver on. So, uh, but this is super uh, high end view. Um, 
irresistible grace is when God wants you to be saved, you will be saved and, and you can't say no, um, which sounds a lot worse coming out of my mouth, but trust me, uh, I've wrestled with this for about 15 years and there's a lot of nuance to it. And perseverance of the saints. Once you're saved, you're always saved. So the two points that Baptists typically lean on is the T and the P. So uh, from birth, you're a sinner. And once you're saved, you can't not be saved anymore. That Those are the, the, the ones that people like. And then the rest are for theology nerds to argue with uh, while we're smoking pipes and and drinking bourbon and and sitting around a fire or something like it's what it's what you see in like a dark smoky library you know gotcha. and and but that is please no one take that away but that is something that I've wrestled with for a very long time and and I've come out uh, I agree with Charles Spurgeon on on most everything except for some things yeah. anyway all that to say. Um, so, you know, I, I believe this. What, where was I? I got on a tangent. And you, you I don't know, but, but you were, you were talking about, you know, some of the, the ways that your, your family oh, yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. 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 So as a reformed guy, the reformed community is a literal dumpster fire right now. Like it is mm. hot garbage all the time. The number one issue reformed pastors are talking about online, or I see it on Twitter all the time. I see it in my reformed Facebook groups is critical race theory. And they are, they're talking about critical race theory. Like it's this scourge that is infiltrating the church. And, and basically it boils down to, we don't want to talk about racism because racism probably doesn't exist on a systematic level. These are pastors who have MDivs and they've been, they've been preaching for years and years and years, but they are, I need to not put my foot in my mouth, but they're so blinded by their whiteness that they refuse yeah. to even try to see that maybe Jesus cares about racism. Like they just don't want to do it. And, and my family buys into that. People buy into that. And so many churches in this area, they treat it like it's this disgusting thing. And I don't know what churches I'm welcomed at anymore because of my views. It's frustrating. And, you know, you talked about it also uh, a moment ago, this polarization within the political climate where you have right wing very conservative therefore you know the people kind of lump in your your typical christian conservative values um there and then on the left there's really not there there like i would say like some of the jesuit practices and and thoughts around you know love everything it's very kind of hippie if you think about it it's uh, <laughs> it, it's very left leaning what are your all's thoughts on this polarization and how religion is brought into the polarization of of you know politics? And uh, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts, Jordan. First, it sucks. It does. Um, yep. That's that's <laughs> yeah. the the core of my thoughts. Um, I can give you a three point sermon on why it sucks, but it really <laughs> sucks. You know, I am I'm tired of everything being so extreme. You know, it's it's either you you love God and you love Trump or you love Satan and you voted for Biden. Yep. You know, that is, that is the vibe that I get from family. That is the vibe that I get from friends. That is the vibe. And it really, really pisses me off. And it's, you know, I, I I've had uh, really well-intentioned uh, family members and friends sit me down and say, man, we are really worried about you because you're going off the rails and you're saying this stuff that, that, you know, shouldn't be said and you're challenging things that shouldn't be challenged because what is evangelicalism, uh, to an extent, uh, of not 
challenging things, not challenging the status quo, and just keep with our normal theological stuff. Everything, it has to fit into such neat boxes, and it doesn't, because our faith doesn't fit into a box. Right. Like, is is our God not bigger than whatever box we want to put him in? Yeah. Come on. You know, it's we have been taught for so long to to pursue God and to follow God wherever he takes us, because his will is higher than our will. His ways, sorry, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So shouldn't we be pursuing that truth? Yeah. And instead, no, it's it's if this one cultural thing is going on, then maybe maybe we should just really stick to the status quo. And it, I don't like it. And with how polarized things are, uh, you know, never before has it been so in your face that if you don't vote for whichever, and I've seen it on the left as well, um, but oh, not yeah. not quite to this extent, but it, it can be. Um, if you don't vote for this certain political uh, figure, then you are not a Christian. And that that simply isn't true. And, right. and I, I know it might make us, un- it makes me uncomfortable to say it sometimes, but you can vote for Trump and be a Christian. I don't quite understand it, just like they don't understand me, but but you can. And you can vote for Biden and be a Christian. And in my family, my my grandmother or something would say, I don't understand how you could vote for Biden and be a Christian, but I think you can be. And we need that because we used to have that. We used to have, you know, you could vote for Obama or Romney or Obama, Obama or McCain, and you can still be a Christian. Um, we can have our differences and still love God. And now we can't for whatever reason. Yeah, it Audie, feels I'd love, like I'd, I'd love to stop commanding this conversation. I do no, and, and that's totally yeah, fine. That's fine. I, and before that, just on that topic, I feel like this uh, this specific election, this 2020 election, really kicked off with that mindset more than any other election I feel like I've ever seen, where religion was brought more into it than I ever. And and it might be just like a social media thing, right? Like more people having a voice and the louder voices are heard. But I feel like I hadn't heard this whole, if you vote for Republicans, you're a Christian. If you vote for Democrats, then you love Satan. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the first time I've heard that. Boy, man, I live in the South. It's been going on for a while. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in. I'm from Atlanta originally. I live in Macon now. Um, And in the South, it's a big thing where... If you are conservative, you're right. If you're liberal, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, it's so funny to me, especially in the Methodist tradition where John Wesley was a huge proponent of social justice, of looking out to the poor, like to the point where he thought that if you had any money left in your pocket, you were doing the wrong thing by not giving it to somebody else that needed it. So, I'm definitely with Jordan on this. I think a lot of the a lot of the thing that makes me so tired of the way people act is that they sit in a comfortable faith and don't want to question it at all. And so when racism is brought up, when somebody of a different gender is brought up, that's uncomfortable. And so because it's uncomfortable, it's wrong. And what what in the world, you know, because mm-hmm. I remember when I was in Bible college and I was going to Saturday night prayer meetings all the like every single Saturday I would go. We would pray from from freaking 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Like just constant nonstop walking up and down the hallways of our of our college uh, 
I was an intern at a youth organization. So all of us, I mean, it would be like 70 of us. Just, it was very charismatic kind of thing going on. Anyway, um, we were always told that when we would pray for God to reveal things in our lives, it wasn't going to be comfortable and it wasn't going to be easy. So where the world does the church get this notion that our faith is freaking easy? When we get confronted with our own racism, our own racial Mm -hmm. injustice, because there has been racist things that I have done in my life that I have repented of because it was cultural. I didn't understand it. I get it now. And, and God has to me shown me my sin in racism, but then other guys who the same ones that told me that, you know, God's going to lead you to uncomfortable spots and you've just got to follow. You got to get out of the boat like Peter did. And you have to walk on water. And when you walk on water, you can't look back and you can't look down. You have to look at God. And you have to follow him and you have to get that junk out of your life. Or the same ones that have told me, you know, you're going to have baggage and you have to unpack that baggage because God can't use you with all of that baggage. They're the same ones that say, nah, man, we don't have any issues with racism here. Right. We don't have any issues with sexism here. We don't have any issues that that might be plaguing this country on a systematic level. No, we are totally immune from that. Right. Give me a break. And, and again, I'll say, especially here in the South, we hear that all the time, but just about every church that has a long tradition one way or another, especially I would say a lot of Methodist churches, you look around, it's mostly white people sitting in those pews, or you go to a different church where it's mostly black people sitting in those pews, or you go to a different church where it's mostly Asian people sitting in those pews. Absolutely. Right. And every and, once and in a while, that's the thing come in together. Northwest Ohio. You know, I, I remember very specifically, like when, when I was part of a traveling ministry team. So we'd have a group of kids that would go and we'd do like Christian musical numbers and there'd be like mm-hmm. synchronized movements and dances. It was all very cringy. I can't imagine doing it now. Uh, but I ran sound for it and it was, it was a, a blast. Anyway, so we'd be like, I love going to this church because it's a black church and there's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I, or I hate going to this church because they're just so old and boring. And it was just a total white church. Like here in Northwest Ohio, there's tons of quote unquote white churches and quote unquote black churches. And it's bonkers how degraded and, and I'd say low key kind of racist our faith can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's bothering. And we have to address it. I think that once we all see just how similar our beliefs are, I'd say, and you know, in the good ways, certainly, but you know, like there's so much that, that we all have in common, right? Like at, at the core of it. So it's such a, it's such a shame to see that segregation. Like you're talking about and, and and Audie, I want to, I want to go back to something that you talked about was just you growing up, right? When Mm -hmm. you, when you look back at how you grew up in the church for me, you know, it was growing up, going to CCD every Tuesday night and, you know, getting, you know, doing the sacraments. And I was even an altar server on Sundays, uh, in the Catholic church. And, um, there was, there was very, I, I, I don't want to say I was, I was jaded too, but I was very accepting and not, I, I didn't, I didn't think to necessarily like challenge my faith. But thinking back to when you were younger and talking about everything that's happening in the South, and, uh, and, and at what point did you feel like you started to challenge the, the thinking uh, of what you grew up with? Honestly, for me, it was not until 
really college and beyond. I Like I said, I grew up in Atlanta. Part of it for me, though, is I saw diversity everywhere but my church. But I also grew up in Atlanta where there's, you know, you could throw a rock and hit a church. So everybody found their church to go to. But I also went to the most diverse, um, ethnically diverse school in the state of Georgia. So I saw that side of it as well. Um, but I would say where I really changed was college and afterwards. I went to an art school, Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, so on that top was, of that was one, my dream college in, in school, by the way. Yeah, I was that, that was my dream college. I'm still paying for it, so <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> don't worry about not getting that dream. Um, but that said, like I went to a very diverse high school, so I saw all kinds of ethnicities, and that became normal to me. I went to art school, and that didn't freak me out, but I definitely learned more about. Uh, I think at art school, definitely learned more about different people's orientation and sexuality and stuff like that there and was really open to that. I think it was after that where I had to get a job in the real world and face different people where it really was like, okay, there are a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds that I'm seeing that are good people. And I can't just tell them they're terrible because they think differently than me. I, I just can't get on board with that. So I am just going to share my faith as best I can. I'm going to love them as best I can in whatever way I can and go from there. And then, you know, um, meeting my wife, Julia, working at camp was just one more step along that path of becoming more of what, you know, I would call myself as a progressive liberal person um, in in the South, which is, you know, an interesting take. Um, anyways, but just trying, trying my best to be a, a person that anybody can come to with a question of whatever, or if you have something going on that you need help and not, and I'm not even saying that from a Christian perspective, but like, do you need somebody to come pick you up from work? Do you need somebody to come help you move a couch? Like yeah. I have come to the point where I want to be somebody that anybody can come to for whatever reason. Yeah, and in the church, outside of the church. That's a really good point, by the way. These aren't exclusively Christian values. Mm-hmm. I know plenty of people who aren't Christian that carry the same values of love and you know wanting to be there for others, showing empathy and compassion and understanding towards others. Right, like that's it. it shouldn't mm-hmm. be a mutually, or I'm sorry, just like just an exclusive. Christian trait. Uh, and so Absolutely. that's a really good point. That's when, where when we I was should be taught, together. What I was taught, though, is that when when you're not a Christian, it's impossible to be a moral or good person. That's what I was taught when I was younger. That's what I was taught when I was a teenager. And that's what I was taught in Bible college. Mm-hmm. And, and morals come from God, and that's yeah. how we get them. So. And so we have we have this, this foundational issue in, in, in at least my section of the faith, of the evangelical spectrum, which I don't publicly identify as an evangelical anymore because they're too gosh dang embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that is what they taught us. And not yeah. to cut you off, Audie, but that that is that is what we were told is is right. you can't be a good person without God. And and good as in moral, decent, upstanding, right. good person. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, we it's... don't have. I just feel like. 
what an audacious thing for humanity to proclaim that, you know, that is the word of God that you have to be a, a Christian. That is such a thing that God, you know, like I think about like the come as you are, right? Like no matter who, who he is, the, the shepherd welcomes you with open arms, right? And, as long as you're wearing a suit or or a dress, yeah. Um, as long as you look good, you're dressed decent, then God can use you. Right. If you're an ugly or mm. if you're poor, stay home. Yeah, it's wild to me. And yeah. now I, I want to shift this conversation a bit to the negative. You know, we're talking about some of the negative connotations, <laughs> certainly, and and the stereotypes. But really, it's like the internet's perspective of. Christianity and and our respective faiths. Like when I see uh, somebody talking about uh, the Catholic Church, the, immediately the first thing that comes to people's attention is, "Oh, who's that priest and why did he molest that kid?" And it's right. so mm-hmm. awful. It's so awful because I grew up as an altar server. You know, one of the quote unquote victims of a uh, of child abuse. Like I, that, that never happened to me, and and I get that it's happened and it's terrible. And those priests should be kept accountable and held accountable, and like that's really, really important, right? But I, I also feel like it's such a disservice to what that did for me as a young man, feeling more, uh, more closer to my faith and closer to Christ and everything that it did for me. And when I think about the negative connotations there, and I see so much of that, it's not that's not my church, and it and it frustrates me a lot. And I want to hear from you guys on what the internet's and you know the internet is kind of a broad term, but society's views, the outsider view of Christianity. Uh, how does that make you feel? Uh, so let, let's start with you, Jordan. Man, it it it's tough because you you would say that's not my church. I would say when I look at the things that are levied against evangelicals, um, that that say, you know, it, it is a lot of racism or sexism. I, I think what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention right now, um, which is just the Southern yeah. Baptist Convention is the the governing body that runs the, if you see like a first Baptist church of, uh, insert uh, city name here or whatever, that's typically an SBC church. They kind of like to go by that. They go by other names too. Um, but Southern Baptist is the largest organization of Baptists. And there's a lot going on right now with, uh, there was uh, a leader, uh, her name is Beth Moore, one of the most phenomenal uh, pastors. Uh, I, I heard her at Passion 2013 when I went to this conference, and she changed my life. I still remember what she preached on at that conference, uh, and I don't remember what I had for breakfast last Thursday. So it's, you know, the fact that I remember it, big deal. And and she left, very publicly left the SBC. Um, and... Now that she has left, I have seen left recently too. Like left, like within the past like week and a half. Yeah, right. And and the, now that she's left, I have seen so many people like, well, yeah, she's a heretic. So why should I care if Beth Moore left uh, the SBC? Yeah, she's she's doomed for hell. So why should I give a crap that she's left? And and I look at that stuff, and and I'm part of that exodus. I'm part of that group leaving the church, uh, the the church body, not not. God's church, not the global church, but I'm part of that group because that is my church. 
That is the mm-hmm. church I grew up in. My church is marked by racism. It is marked by sexism. It's marked by injustice after injustice after injustice, and people don't care. And, and so I'm done. I'm done going to those churches. And and you know, I know that my God is different. I know that his word is different. I know that the and I don't even want to call it the interpretation. I know that scripture, when taken literally, isn't even close to what they're preaching. Bingo. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and and again, like I said, that is what I was taught to do. I was taught to study scripture um, just exegetically, verse by verse, just really tear it down to its roots. And I, I was taught and still believe that all scripture is God-breathed. Every single word of it is in there for a reason because that is what God wrote and that is what God intended. I'm one of those and I, I own it and I know who I am. Um, so when I see the internet talking about that stuff, when I see the internet railing on evangelicals, I, I do try to chime in with a, yeah, you know, I know the church is like that, but let's make it better. Let's really see this, uh, this new generation rise up and create a better church with with different systems that allow for actual self-reflection and processing so that we can grow past the crap that has been put in the church since you know when when did the the um the evangelical right wing thing start i think fallwell really came onto the scene in the the 70s and 80s you know ever since that and and we've been progressively just going more and more political i i think there's a way out of that and i think there's a future outside of that and and I want to be part of that. So when the internet talks about my faith, I I, I I do try to defend it by saying, yeah, we can be better. And I know we can be better. And I want to be part of the solution. That's really great. Audie, what about you? Uh, I feel the same way. First, I got to say, if you're not following Beth Moore on Twitter for both a Christian perspective and just a fun Twitter follower. She's so dude, funny. Get She's on amazing. it. She's amazing. She's like, and look. I grew up with her being the Bible study for the women folk in the church. Mm-hmm. And that I just thought, oh, she's that lady that does all the ladies' Bible studies. Until I started following her on Twitter, I was like, dang, she's hilarious. So follow follow Beth Moore. Um, you know, it's funny talking about the way that the church is perceived online. Because just before COVID hit last year, the Methodist church meets as a body every four years to figure out what do we believe in. Um, We're kind of set up like the U.S. Congress because we kind of came together as a church at the same time the U.S. started um, as a governmental body. So we have a similar structure. We just don't need to meet as often and figure that out. Um, But last year we were supposed to come together and it looked like we were going to start to figure out this whole, do we really believe this? What we were saying about those of sexual orientation and stuff. And it looked like it was kind of going to go the way of like, we might actually change this. Maybe let's see. And because of that, it started getting reported in the media about leaders deciding certain things, what was going to be covered in that meeting. Um, And this meeting, which we call general Conference, is where uh, basically people representing the church from all over the world come together to vote on this and say, yes, this is what we believe as a church, big C Methodist church. So like you don't often see us in the media, except when we're coming together to decide what we're going to do about the LGBTQ community. And it wasn't looking good because the first thing you read is like, Oh, that's what you believe about people. And I'm like, 
uh, that's not what I believe. That's what we're trying to change. Yeah. And so it's been a process. And that meeting was postponed until this year. Until recently, they decided, nope, we still can't do it. COVID's still a thing. We still can't meet like this as a body. So they're pushing it back one more year, but we're still figuring things out. And there's still the very conservative side that says the LGBT community has no place except to sit in a pew and that's it. That faction is actually looking like it's going to remove itself from the global Methodist church. So mm. there's some, I don't want to say relief because we're not there yet. We're still working on it, but there's something to be said that the fight is at a point where they're going to leave and the Methodist church being a network church, there's a lot of weird stuff there as far as salaries, pensions, like the Methodist church is what owns a church building, not that local church, not that local group of people, but the Methodist church as a whole. So figuring out all that kind of random junk and we're just like, okay, y'all figure that out. Can we love people now? Can we just love people now, please? And let them know that they are loved and they are accepted and we want to let these people know they're loved in every which way they can be. We want to let these people know they can get married in our church. Whatever their background, whatever their race, whatever their sexual orientation. We want to let these people know that they can be ordained and be preachers and, you know, talk about God to other people from that perspective, from that leadership, from that authority. We think that they are absolutely um, allowed to do that just as much as I am. So yeah. it, it it's coming to a point from from my perspective of dealing with that and seeing the way it's portrayed. And we haven't heard a lot lately because we keep p- postponing this uh, general conference meeting. Um, but it's going to come to a head I, probably next year when it actually goes through. It's going to come to a head and there's going to be a lot of talk about Methodism probably um, as we're deciding this and how it all goes down. Yeah, the... The Catholic Church is in an interesting place, too, because when you look at Pope Francis, he's a Jesuit, and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, your typical conservative Catholic leadership that really butts heads with him because of his progressive thinking. And, you know, he's talked a lot about he's trying to move the church in a more progressive direction, which I think is that's exactly what I want out of my church. But I can't say the same for for other folks in the church, and it's it's an interesting place. But you know, to to lead to the next point, you know, when you look at the future and your hopes for what could be a more inclusive, I, I think that we can all agree that the three of us f- want to see a more inclusive church, no matter what form of Christianity that that we follow or you know practice. We want a more loving, inclusive church. And for me, where I see the silver lining in some of this struggle and transformation is that there is transformation potentially happening in a positive direction, at least for the Catholic Church, and seeing what Pope Francis is really pushing for. And a lot of the Jesuit voices really coming out of the woodworks, in some cases, really promoting this level of acceptance amongst you know bringing in and, and accepting more members of 
of the community who are LGBTQ plus and, um, you know, just, just being more empathetic to that at the very least, listening to them and their stories and perspectives. Uh, Jordan, I'd love to start with you. What are some of the ways that perhaps you see some hope on the horizon where, you know, frankly, there's been some grim conversation here. Like, yeah. let's look at the, the yeah, I, I tell you guys, Christianity is rad. You know, God is awesome. Jesus is amazing. Um, my, my life has been fundamentally changed by Christ through the revelation of scripture, through the work of his Holy Spirit, through the work of Christ on the cross, my life has been changed. And no church drama can take that away from me. No church drama can take that away from you. You know, this is not me being uh, evangelistic or apologetic. This is me just saying what is true for me. Christ has changed my life. And, and, Jerry Falwell Jr. can't take that away from me. Donald Trump can't take that away from me. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention can't take that away from me. Um, the, the church that, that fired me because of my uh, theological stances on Calvinism can't take that away from me. The church that ostracized me because I wasn't charismatic enough uh, can't take that away from me. That is my story. So when I look at hope, that is the only hope that I have. Christ is my foundation. That is my hope. And I look at a lot of other people my age that I communicate with through, uh, there's this really rad um, Reddit, uh, subreddit, uh, just our Christianity. And probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago, a lot of us migrated to Facebook instead. And we made our own uh, subgroup. And it's just a bunch of former moderators from our Christianity. I used to run the True Christian subreddit, which is as pompous and pretentious as it sounds like. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't go there anymore. But it was the, you know, we are the our Christianity was way too liberal. <laughs> it was way too liberal for us. So I took my my uh, Baptist Bible College uh, knowledge and I I went over to our True Christian and I made it my own and then I suddenly found myself as a Democrat and it was all downhill from there. But um, <laughs> we all made our own, our own Christianity Facebook group and, and we're doing community together. Uh, one of the guys from that group actually officiated my wedding. We're really tight, really close. Um, they're all just like me. They're all fed up with, with how things are. They're moving on. They're starting churches. They're having good conversations. Our faith is not this, this unchanging monolith. You know, the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I get it. It's not going to change. It's not going to change based off of our culture or anything. However, the way that we practice our faith, the way that we put it into work and action, that is so fluid. And and, and I'm seeing this millennial and Gen Z group. Uh, sorry, are you guys both Gen Xers? Oh, I'm millennial. Oh, uh, you're millennial? Cool. I, I don't know how old anyone is. I assume on the internet, everyone is, is my age until proven otherwise. Um, yeah, but, I feel but like you know, I fit anywhere when they describe it. So I'm like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But, you know, our generation has had enough and we're moving on and we're doing our own thing. Um, as, as the great theologians DC Talk once said, uh, God is doing a new thing. And, and, you know, I think we should stay tuned to it because it's pretty rad. So there's my hope. God is doing some rad stuff in spite of the church. Maybe not inside of the church all the time, but in spite of the church. He's doing some really rad stuff. Love it. Love it. Audie, what about you? Yeah, I feel a lot of the same way. And I think, so I went to a youth specialties, which was a big... Um, I love them. Um, went or to a youth specialties thing. Yeah. 
um, and heard Phyllis Tickle talk. Now she was one of the Phyllis Tickle talk. <laughs> it sounds like a show that my daughter watches on no, that's, Disney that's, Plus. That's my gnome sorcerer in D and D. No, um, her name is Phyllis Tickle. Uh, she gave a talk. She was one of the first, uh, like, kind of recognized Christian authors. Um, so she was an older lady, and she's like, you know, they bring us old folks out here to teach you some history. And she made an interesting point that the church, the Christian church as we know it, seems to go through a big hubbub change every 500 years. And we're about ready for it. And so I yeah. think we're at the point where we're wow. in the middle of it now, whether it's the Southern Baptist Convention, the Methodist Church, the Catholic Church. Like, I think everybody's facing it on some way, shape or form. And I see what I see is that tradition is being pushed aside by the people who want to say, let's love people. Let's not worry about what's come before as much as let's worry about my brother or sister that's hurting now and what we can do about them and for them. And that's where I see the most movement. That's why you see so many churches that are like, we don't want to be tied to a denomination and be tied to the baggage that that denomination carries. We want to be a church about and for Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes they do have that baggage because of the people that started it and where they come from, but they're trying to get rid of it. Some of them, they have that baggage and they just don't tell you the name of it. Mm. Um, But, more and more I see the generations coming up being like, why are we thinking this way? Why are we doing things this way? Because it's not helping because it's not doing what Jesus actually told us to do. And I think they're also a very smart generation. And one thing, one of the things me and my wife talk about a lot is like how much we are getting away from taking the Bible as a literal word of God and be like, this was written by regular people a long time ago. This was, you know, written down. A lot of the stories in the Bible were not written down for hundreds, if not thousands of years, because they didn't, couldn't all do it. So they told the stories over and over and over so that they would get passed down. The Bible isn't a history book. It's not a science book. A lot of times it's a book of poems and it's a book of what we think of God. Not what we specifically know of God, but how we think of God. And we've got to come at it from that and not just think of it as your typical science textbook, as your typical history textbook. I got into a lot of fights in uh, college about that specific thing, especially the the science, Um, Mm -hmm. because I, I was a counseling major. So, you know, there's a lot of schools of thought in Christian counseling. There's neuthetic counseling, which is literally, um, it's what you see a lot of counseling pastors do where it's what the Bible says is enough for your depression. It's enough for your anxiety. And it's, this is what we have to follow. Uh, so I, I, it, it really was rough because um, just to be kind of transparent, that type of teaching is what led to a lot of suicidal ideation in my life. Um, and I know that I'm not alone in that. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's why I became a uh, not became a counselor because I ended up becoming a graphic designer because I couldn't couldn't hang with with counselors. It was just <laughs> too much. Um, but that's why I started the counseling major because I was like, man, there has to be a better way to do counseling and faith at the same time. And 
And I remember specifically arguing with my my counseling prof when when he was was really harping on us that you know nuthetic counseling is what we need. Um, you know we shouldn't be in a place where we try to give people advice on medication. Um, obviously, as a, a counselor, shouldn't be giving advice on medication, but we shouldn't encourage that. We shouldn't encourage people to take antidepressants because the Bible is all you need. And uh, no. No, I'm sorry, it's not. Um, I think I might have a bit more of a traditionalist view of Scripture than 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 you guys, and that's great because it's showing where our faith uh, diverges and still can come together. But it's not a science book, and it's not right. a history book. There's a lot of flavor in there added by the authors, who I would assert are were under the influence of the Holy Spirit and did yep. so on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not, and and we try to take it as such, and, and it comes up empty, and it comes up um, not what what God intended. I don't think exactly, and and, and we have to be careful, especially uh, in, in me thinking a youth ministry background, but also when we're talking to our children. I guess we should probably talk about our kids again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? How how do we talk about scripture with them? And let's say our kids depressed. I I wouldn't say, well, son, you know, Jesus loves you, so you really shouldn't be down today. Like, you know, Jesus loves you, and maybe you need a therapist. Like, if you're <laughs> yeah. my son, if you're my daughter, you probably need a therapist. Um, so you should get one, and we should be encouraging of that. And I think God would be encouraging of that too. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's just how do we present that? Um, because all of this is going to tie back into our parenting, whether we like it or not, one way or another, our theological worldview is going to tie into how we raise our kids. So, you know, what we think about scripture is going to really play a big part of that. And and just, again, hitting on, because this is really important to me, um, just it's, it's not a mental health textbook. It's not a science textbook, uh, which is why I'm you know, not a young earth creationist. And it's why I think that therapy is great. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I, but don't tell my grandma that I'm not a young earth creationist. It really <laughs> makes her sad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope she doesn't hear this. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad that you brought it back to um, to the kids because you know if we if we think about the why around this conversation, when we when we originally kind of started talking about the idea of sitting down with this roundtable. It, it's to really think about how we. Uh, how do we kind of center our our thoughts around Christianity, the values that that perhaps we've gleaned from it? Um, again, not exclusive to Christianity, but perhaps um, really amplified by by what we believe in in regards to Christ and everything else. You know, how do you guys plan to you know just continue to to drive this conversation around balance? and reasonability, uh, and also open-mindedness, uh, with your kids around the topic of, of religion and, uh, and beliefs and audio. We'll start with you first. For me and for my wife, it's, it's not holding back anything from them, but also meeting them where they're at and being honest with them. And I think a lot of that means being honest with what the Bible says, but also being honest with how we as a people live today and, you know, strike that difference of like this. The Bible was written a long time ago by different people. We still follow it as God's word, but we're also people living right now and have to figure out the way we live in this world with other people at the same time with the Bible in our hand 
and how we can do that. And most importantly, love people. That's the one mm-hmm. thing we try to imprint on our kids is that every single person on this earth is of worth. And in the Methodist tradition, we say they are of sacred worth, that they are a worthy being on this planet and that we need to treat them as such, that mm-hmm. we need to treat them with love and care just as much as we would want anyone else to treat us. Mm-hmm. And that is our biggest thing. Love others as you would want to be loved. Yeah. And that's the thing that we strive to you know, teach our kids through every interaction when they come home and tell us about somebody who hit them or push them on the playground. It's like, well, would you want somebody to do, do that to you? Well, no. Okay. Well, let's not do that. You know, tell the teacher that they, they did that to you, but let's not be the kid that does that back. Let's be the kid that just brushes it off. Let's be the kid that encourages them to be nice. And maybe let's be the kid that invites them to come play with me this way instead of playing that way. Yeah. And you know, it's, it, it comes back to uh, something that we talked about earlier is so often our faith can lead us to uncomfortable spots. Love is uncomfortable. Yes. Loving others when, when they don't in our earthly, fleshly, sinful opinion, deserve it is tough, which is why I struggle so much with, with the current state of the church. You know, we were made in the image of God. That is something that all evangelicals should agree with. That's something that I think all Christians, most Christians, I'm not sure. Uh, we agree with it most of the time, I think. Um, but if we're made in the image of God, if we bear God's uh, aspects of his personality, if we bear his image, if we are crafted by God, uh, you know, Psalms 139, we're, we're knit together in our mother's womb, we're fearfully and wonderfully made by God, then why the heck don't we love? Why is it so hard for the church to love? And mm-hmm. and when we're teaching our kids that, it, it is going to be hard. It is going to be hard to look at the person who has wronged you significantly and say, I love you not because of my own doing, but I love you because who you are in Christ. I love you because God made you. I love you because you are so full of potential to do great things because God made you. I'm going to keep loving you because that's the right thing to do. Man, that's hard. That is so hard, but it's still what we're called to do. And our faith should make us uncomfortable. Our faith should be hard. And we're even having those hard conversations now with our boys. Like we sit around the kitchen table and talk about not necessarily exactly what's going on in the world, but the way that, you know, you talk about the Black Lives Matter protests and stuff. It's like we we tell our boys people of a different color in this country have been treated a different way because of the color of their skin. And that's sad, but we're not going to do that. We are not going to be those people. And you have to have those conversations as soon as possible, because if you don't have that conversation with your child, somebody else will in some way, shape or form. And yes. they will get a message of what to do to other people. So we want to make sure we're the ones telling them that message first. And that message is love. That message is acceptance. That message is that somebody else is of worth. Gentlemen, this has been such a a fulfilling conversation for me personally, just kind of talking to some other folks who really kind of share the frustrations of the church, certainly, but really aligned with how we're leading no matter our denomination of Christianity, we're we're leading with love and acceptance and and empathy, compassion first and foremost, and how we're raising our kids. And I have nothing but uh 
positive thoughts about how the future is going to unfold for our kids. And it, and it may take a while, but uh, I, I do have a glass half full mentality on, on some of this. So I appreciate Absolutely. the conversation. And, you know, what, what I want to do as we, as we end things is, you know, give folks an opportunity to, to follow you if you're, uh, you know, on social media and, and whatnot. Uh, Jordan, what sort of uh, ways should folks follow you? Yeah, and really quick, just as a as an end note, because yeah. I'm just so uh, long-winded, I want to say how cool it is that a Reformed Presbyterian, a uh, quote-unquote liberal Methodist, as my uh, <laughs> friends and such would probably have called Adi, and a Catholic <laughs> can come together, talk about their faith, agree on literally every point, and and show true unity yeah like this is mm-hmm. the church coming together like you know I, I know that luther nailed his his thesis to the door and caused a church split um but man we're, we're bringing it back and it's pretty rad Absolutely. And, and and this should give us a glass half full because i don't think on a spectrum of theological uh identity we could be further apart but I think we agree on far more than we disagree. Totally. And and I, I think it's a super sure. rad thing. Um, so if you want really bad uh, political takes, if you want <laughs> the occasional NASCAR tweet and um, uh, a few nerd things kind of sprinkled in, I'm on Twitter at Jordan M. Blythe. Uh, just first name, middle initial, last name. I am so original, it hurts. But that is uh, really the only place I'm publicly uh, available on the socials. Um, I, I, I do try to keep things on the down low because I work in social media. So my bosses can follow me and I do try to keep my truly big uh, rants and stuff kind of private. So mm-hmm. publicly, I'm on Twitter. It's pretty rad. Nice. Audie, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at oddly normal one. And that's the one spelled out. From me, you're going to find all kinds of crazy things. So definitely a lot of nerd stuff. Um, and I'm a freelance artist, so I post a lot of artwork there. The occasional thing regarding religion here and there gets shared. But yeah, you're welcome to follow me, talk to me, whatever. Um, I'm also on Instagram. If you do that, it's simply Audie, A-U-D-I-E underscore Norman, N-O-R-M-A-N. Uh, that's going to be the easier place to find art and pictures of my boys, because that's ten- what I mostly share over there. Um, so yeah, you can come, come at me on Twitter or, uh, Instagram. You know what? I forgot that I also have a public Instagram and it is much more pleasant than my Twitter because it's all <laughs> food, gardening, and children pics and, and who doesn't <laughs> love all of those? Uh, and that's Jordan M. Blythe as well. Same Twitter, same face or same, uh, um, Instagram. It, it's a good time for all. And Audie, just in the spirit of a podcaster sharing their stuff, why don't, why don't you talk about your, your show that you do with Travis there? Yeah, I was going to say, the other thing I do is a show with uh, my buddy Travis. He's known by TV's Travis on the interwebs. And we do a show about Highlander, the series called Let's Watch Highlander. So um, if you've never seen the series before, it's on IMDb TV right now for free. You can watch it. We get together every Tuesday night around 9 Eastern on his Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis to talk live about it you get to see how the sausage is made with our podcast and what we do um and we love having people in the chat talking to us and you know all that kind of stuff and then it gets released on thursday uh travis puts it out you can find it at anchor.fm slash let's watch highlander or just put let's watch highlander in whatever podcatcher you prefer to use 
great. Um, that so we, is too cool. How many Highlander podcasts are there out there? Like, are, is it a crowded market? It is not very crowded. I think that is too cool. Two when we started and I listened to like one episode, I was like, you know what? No, I, I, I don't want to be informed one way or another. I want <laughs> us to do our thing. So yeah, each episode we go through an episode of the show and we just, there's five or six, no, six or seven seasons, something like that. We just, we're about halfway through season two right now. We started at the beginning of the year. So nice. definitely feel free to follow that, listen to that and come hang out with us on Tuesday nights if you can. Wonderful. All right. Well, gentlemen, again, thank you for the very enriching and uh, and pleasant conversation, I think, about a, a topic that's always on the top of my mind. Uh, and so, uh, again, our guests today have been Jordan Blythe and Audie Norman. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Thanks Alex, man. for having me. This is great. This context of love, empathy, and compassion around Christianity is something that I hope I leave my kids when I depart this earth one day. And I'm sure I share this with a lot of parents listening to this show, whether you're Christian or not. I hope that the world in general shows more of this, especially to the marginalized people who need it most. And I hope this conversation provided a little bit of context for the perspective of Christians who may not fit into some of the stereotypes that people see, especially in the media. And I hope my kids don't feel ashamed to share this love that I learned in Christianity and that I hope to instill to them. Big thanks to Audie and Jordan for sharing their perspectives and for a very meaningful conversation about a very important topic. And if you'd like to chime in on the conversation that we had, you can email the dad chronicle podcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support what we're doing here, you can become a patron head over to supportadad.com. Find a level that works well for you. Big thanks to everybody who supports the show today. Thanks again for listening. And remember, be good to yourself. Be good to others. Take care. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.